previously on Cry in the Moon's Light. When a villager is attacked outside Castle Parlemais by an unknown creature, the Hessians depart to catch the beast. With the Hessians gone, Milady and the carriage driver escape the castle. They continue east through the forest, but are attacked along the way by the Black Wolf and his pack. But a mysterious masked rider saves her from being killed and disappears with her into the forest. Desperate to find my lady, the carriage driver returns to Castle Parlemais, seeking help. Because the forest is too dangerous at night, he is forced to stay at the castle until the next day. Welcome to A Cry in the Moon's Light. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Alan McGill. I'm the author who created this story. I'll also be your narrator. A Cry in the Moon's Light is an action-adventure drama told in 15 episodes. It's the tale of a beautiful young woman who must travel across the country through a dark forest. Our setting is the late 1700s of Eastern Europe. It is a time of horse-driven carriages, muskets, castles, and when the moon is full, hideous creatures of the night. Solve the mystery of the wolf, learn the secret of silver, and discover a world of intrigue, adventure, horror, romance, and love. Join me as we unravel the mystery that is A Cry in the Moon's Light. In this chapter, the carriage driver and some castle guards return to Marcel searching for Milady. The town has been attacked and more villagers are brutally murdered. With the rest of the villagers in hiding, where is Milady and the stranger? Faced with an impossible decision, the carriage driver has few choices as he continues his search for Milady. Welcome to Chapter 7, A Scared Village. Exhausted, I fell asleep for a short while. It was a restless sleep as my mind was trying to make sense of it all. First, the blue eyes in the forest everywhere we went. Then... It was the blonde wolf calmly standing in the center of the road near the meadows. After that, it was the murders in Marcel. And finally, the wolves attacking us. Twice. As if they were on some type of mission to kill us. What was going on here? Lord Parlamé's son, William, seemed as evil and creepy as anybody I'd ever met. Yet his father was kind and generous. And why did this castle need a captain of the guards? After all, it was William who boasted about killing that black wolf hanging in the dining room. Wasn't he protection enough? But there were guards everywhere. And the Hessians, on some type of mission from the king to rid the countryside of wolves. 
Colonel Volker, leading them after a personal vendetta against some beast he encountered years ago on a different continent. Now this damned stranger adding into the mix. My lady seemed to know him, but refused to reveal it. Well, she refused to reveal a lot. And as this pack of wolves, led by a black wolf, attacks us, a werewolf saves us. This werewolf, the pale or blonde wolf, and the stranger all have blue eyes and strange markings that match each other, as if all three are the same creature, each visiting us in a different form throughout the journey. And if that isn't weird enough, suddenly he appears out of nowhere as a masked rider and saves us from a second wolf attack. He patches her up, but takes off with her like some type of hero or kidnapper. How was I supposed to know which is which? If he was really the werewolf, why not just transform and kill the pack? Why use a musket and pistols? Or was he one of those thieves William talked about, looking to ransom the wife of the governor of Normandy, saving her for his own ends? By the time the first rays of sunlight made their way through my bedroom window, I was wide awake. I was already dressed and ready to go. I made my way down the spiral staircase to find Barkslow and half a dozen men gathering up equipment, carrying them outside. They had steel traps, ammunition, plenty of firearms. Some were carrying satchels of food and water, and a few had netting. It looked like they were going on an expedition and didn't expect to be back anytime soon. Good, you're awake. We need to get moving. Your team has been fed and rested, Barkslow said. Would you prefer to ride one of our horses and leave your carriage here? I'll take the carriage. When we find her, inside the carriage will be the safest place for her. Barkslow nodded and we all went outside. Lord Parlamay was already there, standing at the bottom of the steps. There was one wagon with a two-horse team and six horses saddled and ready to go. They filled up the wagon with their supplies, extra firearms, ammunition, and food. They mounted their horses and waited for the order to depart. I placed an extra musket next to your seat. I didn't think you would leave the carriage. I cleaned your musket and loaded it as well. As Barkslow told me about loading my musket, I could feel my cheeks turning red. It was getting a little embarrassing knowing all the things we kept from them. Barkslow started to bark out orders to his men. We will split up. I will lead four of the men to the sea to retrace the rider's horse. Hopefully, we can pick up the trail. Shouldn't be too hard at first. Soft sand and all. He looked back at me as he continued. Three men will go with you to Marcel. Learn what you can. Maybe he took her there. If he is a highwayman, he may want to send a ransom from there. Don't dawdle in Marcel. Learn what you can, be quick about it, and return back to the castle. It is truly the only safe place in the entire valley. We will meet here by sundown. Don't get caught out there after dark. There's no point in coming back here, I barked. Lord Parlamay spoke up quietly to me. Listen, child. If they find the trail, 
they will follow it until they either find them or lose it. Either way, that will take all day. It will take you half a day to get to Marcel. It will not take you long to determine if she is there or anyone knows this rider. Either way, both teams need to return here with her or with new leads. You need to work together to find her. I nodded my head slowly. They were right again. I just didn't like all the waiting and wasted time. Who knows how far away he might have taken her by now. Part of me wanted him to have taken her out of this dangerous land. I snapped the reins and directed Arca across the bridge and down the foothills toward the forest. Three riders on horseback followed behind. I kept the pace nice and steady. As much as I wanted to get to Marcel quickly, I couldn't overstress the horses. When we all reached the crossroads and stopped, Barkslow looked over at me and smiled as he spoke. Don't worry, we'll find her. These men are at your disposal. You'll be safe with them. Don't be afraid to use the muskets if you need to. If one of us isn't back by nightfall, then that means we have found her or on our way to finding her. Good luck. With that, Barkslow spurred his horse and they took to the road, leading east toward the sea. I snapped the reins again and turned my team toward Marcel. It wasn't long before we crossed the entrance to the forest. The three riders kept pace easily, but stayed well behind the coach. We rode for a couple of hours before we came to a small creek that crossed in the forest. My lady and I hadn't stopped here before because we were fleeing Marcel. The horses needed a breather and a quick drink, so I stopped. I pulled the horses up to the creek so they could drink. One by one, I led each horse across. The three men dismounted and gave their horses a drink, too. The men seemed on edge. I noticed that one of their horses had a large net just behind the saddle. There were restraints dangling off another horse. These restraints were not ordinary. They were shiny like silver. And the net seemed to have a silver thread woven into it. A tall, thin man looked over at me as he spoke. What happened last night? I knew they heard most of my story when I arrived back at the castle. I wasn't sure why he was asking. Maybe it was just small talk, or maybe he missed some of the conversation. You mean the murders in Marcel? I asked. No, I mean in the forest. Just what exactly did you say? He asked. He had heard my entire account when I told Lord Parlamay and Barkslow. This question was about something else. It was as if he knew I was holding back. How could he? There wasn't anybody there when the werewolf saved us. I told you everything last night, I said. He just turned his head to one of the other men, and they all looked at each other as if to suggest they knew better. The men mounted their horses, waiting impatiently for a few moments. Then they trotted off. They knew I wasn't telling them everything, but I didn't care. I snapped the reins and gently pulled the team forward across the creek. I pulled up to the rider that had been speaking to me. What is it you're not telling me? 
Why do you have nets and restraints? I asked. The rider looked over at me and then back at his buddies. With great reluctance, he spoke. William, Lord Paulomay's son, did not come back last night. He went for a late ride and did not return. If the stranger had anything to do with it, we will need to capture him. The other two riders didn't even look at me. They tried to act as if they didn't hear our conversation, but I knew better. He wasn't supposed to tell me that, and they knew that too. I just nodded my head, snapped the reins a little harder to push the team faster again. We picked up the pace, continuing into the gloomy forest. As we rode along, I began to think about William. Was he somehow involved in all of this? Could he be the man-wolf? It was strange how he seemed to question my lady's story as if he knew something else. It was equally as strange that he wasn't here right now. Both my lady and he were missing. I knew William wasn't the blonde-haired stranger that saved her from the pack and carted her off. But where was William? There was no trouble on the way to Marcel. The pace was fast, but it was peaceful. The only odd thing I noticed was how eerily quiet it was. Not even the birds were chirping. When we pulled into town, there wasn't a soul around. The streets were bare. There wasn't any movement. As we passed the livery, the doors were closed, and it didn't look open. It was like the villagers back at the castle when all the peasants went inside. I pulled the team up to the inn and set the brake. The riders all hitched their horses in front and dismounted, each one grabbing their musket. I hopped down and went through the front door of the inn. Two of the riders went with me, while the other stayed just outside the door. This way, he could watch the street and alert us if anything was happening. It was empty like the night we first came in, except there wasn't the low murmur from the tavern below. I walked over to the counter and rang the bell. I looked around, then listened intently for any movements or sounds. There was nothing. I rang the bell again, but again there was nothing. I looked back at the two men and then walked behind the counter so I could go downstairs. The three of us made our way into the pub, but it was empty too. There were some pints on the bar few glasses on tables, and half-eaten dinner plates. Nobody had bothered to clean up the night before. I motioned for the two men to follow me. We went through the street door and up the stairs. As we rounded the building back to the front, the man guarding the horses walked over to us. I ain't seen a soul out here. Something is really wrong, he said. The inn and pub are empty too, I added. I led them across the street to the alley where the murders had occurred. The swath of blood on the wall and the hole in the fence were still there, 
the bodies were gone, cleaned up by the town folk. The three men looked into the alley with wide, unbelieving eyes. The bodies might have been gone, but the destruction was still there. The blood, bits of flesh, fur, and the large busted fence left no doubt about what had occurred. Then there was the large claw marks behind the splatter of blood on the wall. That seemed to disturb them the most. There weren't that many houses in this small village. It was strange not to see anything. Usually there is someone on the street or at their home. As we walked up the main street, we passed the only small store in Marcel. The front door was ajar. Something I hadn't noticed when we passed earlier. I stepped inside and called out, but nobody answered. Something else must have happened, I said as I stepped back out onto the street. We should go, said one of the men. I shook my head no. We have to find her. She could be here, hiding. We kept walking toward the library at the end of town. I could hear some small murmuring coming from the barn. As we got closer, the sounds of people moving about were coming from inside. I tried to pull the large entrance doors aside, but they wouldn't budge. All noises from within stopped. We couldn't hear anything now. Two of the men fanned out to watch either side of the barn, while the tall one stayed behind me. Each of the men had their hammers on their muskets cocked and ready to fire. Suddenly, someone called out from within. Who's there? The voice said. I could hear someone else say in a whisper, Quiet, Sam. Are you crazy? It's okay. We're, we're here to help, I yelled through the doors. The barn door started to jingle a little, and a few clangs later it opened a crack. A short chubby man was peering out. He looked us over and with a sigh of relief opened the door. It looked like the whole town was inside. About 20 people, I guessed. There were a few women huddled next to their children. Some horses tied in stalls. The chubby man stepped out into the open and looked around cautiously. Is it only you three? He asked hesitantly. Yeah, I said. And our other companion down the alley. They're from Parlamay Castle, half a day's ride north of here, through the forest. How long have you been in there? I asked. A few more of the men stepped outside, and the women all stood up, taking a few steps toward the door. The chubby man still had a look of concern on his face as he spoke. We've all been in there most of the night. What happened? I asked. There were two murders. The Tandows were killed in the alley across from the inn, torn apart by some monster. Wolves, maybe, the chubby man said. I know, I was here. Milady and I left right after. We were afraid to stay, I replied. What happened to the Hessians? I thought they were chasing down the creature. You were the wise ones. Most of the men from the town decided to follow the Hessians as they went after the killer. None of them returned. Sometime in the early morning hours, just before the dawn... Our village was surrounded by something. Howls piercing the night. We thought it was wolves, 
But no wolf makes a sound like that. He swallowed hard and then continued. A couple of town folk left the bar to investigate. We found their corpses behind the dark's place, torn to shreds just like the tandows in the alley the night before. His voice began to tremble as he went on. They all gathered in here, started to account for each other. The owners of the general store and his clerk were mutilated. We found them in the stock room. His head was severed from his body. He lowered his head as tears began to flow from his eyes. I remembered the grocer and his clerk from the bar that night. They were having supper together after a long day. Both seemed quiet and innocent. He pulled himself together and continued. We all decided to come in here. It's the safest place in town. There are no windows and the two doors are the only exits. So we barricaded the doors just in time. Something kept trying to get in. Violently shook the door. It would move from one door, then a few minutes would pass and it would be at the back. We didn't think the doors were going to hold, especially after seeing what it did to the fence in the alley. Each time it couldn't get in, it would let out a blood-curdling scream just outside. None of us thought we were going to make it. At sunup, the door stopped shaking and the noises stopped. We were too afraid to come out. We decided to stay in here until the Hessians and the rest of our men returned. Then he looked at me confused and scared as he spoke. Why did you come back? I'm looking for the lady I was with. Did you see her? Is she here somewhere? I questioned. The chubby man shook his head no. I'm not sure who you mind, but there are no strangers in here. Only town folk. What happened to her? He asked. There was a stranger in the pub that night. Tall blonde-haired man with a trimmed beard. Do you know him? I asked. He shook his head no. What does that have to do with... with her? I think she may be with him. I stated. The chubby man looked back at the group. Then he looked back at me as he spoke. That's the same man that killed a Tandos. My eyes fell and so did my heart. The witness did describe him standing over the bodies, but I was convinced he didn't kill those people. The Black Wolf was also described in that alley, and my money was on the Black Wolf killing the Tandows. But I was more concerned with her not being here. We had to go back. But we couldn't leave these people unprotected. They had no weapons except for a few pitchforks and hatchets. I looked back at the tall man with me. Somebody needs to stay here and protect these people. He nodded his agreement. Two of the men can stay behind. I'll ride with you back to the castle. We'll get reinforcements and come back. I did not agree. You should stay here too. If I can make it back to the castle by nightfall... I should be fine. They're going to need all the help they can get. Besides, I travel faster by myself, I said. He hesitated, but agreed. He walked me back down the street to the carriage. A few of the townsfolk hurried back to the store with the other two men guarding them. 
As I climbed into the driver's seat, I saw them carrying more supplies back to the library. The tall man spoke to me just before I left. Be careful and don't delay. You have to get back to the castle by night or it won't be safe. I nodded my understanding and kicked the brake free. I turned the team around and snapped the reins for Arca to move a little faster. As Arca did, I yelled back to the tall man. Keep them safe. I'll meet with Barkslow and send help. Use fire. No animal can fight fire. I snapped the reins even harder to put Arca and the rest of the horses in full gallop. We went right back into the darkened forest, heading east. Once again. Stay tuned for a preview of our next exciting chapter. I'm your host, Alan McGill. Thank you for joining me on this episode of A Cry in the Moon's Light. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us and click the like button, as well as leaving a review in the comments section. By doing this, it helps promote the show so we can gain more support. You can also show your support by going to buymeacupofcoffee.com forward slash Alan McGill. It's a good way to support authors and artists like myself. You can even download the Buy Me A Cup of Coffee app to make your contributions even easier. When you buy me a cup of coffee, you're not just supporting me, but you're supporting the show. While I am the narrator, sole producer and performer, that cup of coffee helps me purchase the sound effects, artist illustrations, and original music written and performed by Joseph McDade. Go to buymeacupofcoffee.com forward slash Alan McGill. Before I sign off, I want to take a moment and acknowledge some great supporters of the show, like Joseph McDade, who provides original music to shows like this. You can find Joe at josephmcdade.com. Todd Yuri of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, who provided a quiet place to record the narrations for this show and is always a supporter of the arts. Visit Todd at the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I want to thank the Writing Community Chat Show for their support of the show. The Writing Community Chat Show is a podcast that supports authors whenever they can and they always have fascinating guests and interesting topics. I'd also like to thank a friend of the show, Patrick Farley. Patrick's new movie is Fatal Encounter, Rise and Fight. In the year 2018, the sacrifice for a greater cause is back and taking human experimentation farther than ever before. It's up to Fennec, Rich, and Nick to stop Seth, the second in command of the West, from continuing his inhumane projects. Fatal Encounter, Rise and Fight is available for free on YouTube. And lastly, I want to thank you again for being here. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I hope you join me again for another exciting episode 
of a cry in the moon's light. This podcast is the creation of Alan McGill. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.